Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. We've got a slightly different guest this week on the show. Ross Shield is an operator, angel investor and dad all rolled into one. He's currently the SVP of Global Revenue at Infogrid, after working at two hypergrowth businesses, Twitter and Stripe. This one was packed with insights, but some highlights for me were dealing with competing identities as a startup dad, energy management versus time management, and his four simple rules for being the best dad. Okay, let's do it. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santarasanan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Startup Dads. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ross Shield to the show. Ross, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Sun is shining, and I think we're just at that point where we're about to tip into the summer. So positive moods and catching some rays. So doing well. Thanks, Amrit. For sure. I definitely reflect on the fact that a seasonal affective disorder is definitely a thing. And uh, yeah, it uh, absolutely makes everything a little bit better, doesn't it? Indeed. Brilliant. So look, Ross, let's jump into it. Can you talk to us a little bit about your life when you became a startup dad? Yes, absolutely. So my son, Charlie, is 20 months old now. So we originally had Charlie in the, the first year of the pandemic. I guess you would technically refer to him as a pandemic baby, but was conceived in advance of that when things were much more normal and functioning in the world. And myself and my partner, Vicky, had been talking about having kids for a while and working through the best time to have a child with both of our schedules. Vicky is a cancer surgeon and plastic surgeon, and I obviously work in technology. Both of us have pretty tough schedules, but landed on the philosophy, there's no time like the present and uh, had Charlie almost two years ago now. Amazing. And you know, the thing that sticks out to me, Ross, when I look at your life, we'll definitely come back to it is you've worked at some pretty intense places and you were to my doing the calculations. You were, were you at Stripe when Charlie came along? Yes, I would have been at Stripe. That's right. So I took some paternity leave when I was I was at Stripe with Charlie, which was great to get to spend time with him and bonds. Oftentimes that's kind of reserved for for moms. But you know, dads also have to take responsibility, ownership and help out in that initial phase, which can be rewarding, but very challenging as parents get to know their new role and look after their kid in a in that kind of environment. For sure. I think one of the things sticks out to me, I'm sure you remember it as well, is the first time someone gives you your child. Like, oh boy, I can't give this to anyone else now. That's it. It's like, <laughs> I remember the midwives giving me this. Like, I was like, you can hold her for a bit longer, right? Yeah. Up to you now. So you jumped indeed. into it. It sounds like you jumped in straight away. Yeah, indeed. Book stops with you. So I think it's really one of the only few jobs in the entire world where you have to go through an immediate values change. I think when you're in your career or if you're a, even if you're a founder, right, sometimes the value exchange doesn't occur immediately. You know, let's say you're moving from a world where you're managing your own work to a world where you're managing your other people's work, right? You, you still bring some of your own behaviors into that new identity. But with this identity of becoming a, a parent, as soon as your child is born, you just have to go through that immediate value change from what you were prior, you know, 10 minutes prior, which was not a dad to 10 minutes later, which is, you know, being a dad and all of the responsibilities that that entails. 
for sure. I'd love to explore that actually, because speaking honestly to you, one of the things that I found hard is you get this kind of biological values change that I think happens very quickly, right? As soon as you have a child and it becomes very obvious the most important thing in your life and your natural protective instincts. But I don't know how you felt in terms of kind of the sense of what happens in the day to day and the obligations you have to work and other things. Speaking honestly, they haven't changed overnight for me. And I don't know how you found it because one of the themes I'd love to explore with you is getting lots of things done because you clearly do it seems, have a magic skill to get lots and lots of things done. But can you talk to me a little bit about how that's kind of unraveled in your life, kind of managing the fact that you've worked for very successful high-growth businesses, kind of one after the other. You're clearly a high performer in your job, but having a child kind of adds an extra constraint that can be complex to manage around for everyone. But I think particularly, you know, when you you work in a high-growth business, I think it can be extra complex. don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think the truth of the matter is if you're anybody who tells you it's it's simple and seamless is an alien or they're they're <laughs> lying it's it's never simple and seamless so i think new parents whether you're a mom or a dad wrestle with feelings of guilt with feelings of not being able to manage time appropriately and with feelings of you know competition between these different identities you have whether that's you're an operator or founder in a company or, you know, dad and partner, husband at home. That's an ongoing thing. I don't think there's ever, you know, this quote about cycling, you know, it never gets easier. You just get faster. And I think it's an apt analogy for parenting as well. It never gets easier. You just get faster at it and you build the muscle memory and the pattern recognition for how you instill values in your kid and you know the more tactical parts of being a dad and there's always this you know this is more of a startup reference but you know if you think of paul graham's maker schedule versus the manager schedule i think for me i had what i would call a structured but unstructured schedule i was quite regimented in my routine but then also afforded myself a lot of buffer time to get different things done outside or in that schedule. And when you go through that value change of being a dad, you just really have to reimagine that completely because your kid needs to have feeding times and you have to bond and take time out as a family. And that needs to be recognized as a priority. So it's all about finding the right balance between your work identity and your your dad identity. And I remember when I was in my 20s and my background is in technology, large US American companies like Twitter and Stripe. And you would always hear, have these comments, bring your full self to work. And I was like, what does that even mean? I said, as a 20 something year old, how can I, what does bringing my full self to work mean? And with the benefit of hindsight and becoming a parent, I understand now what it means, right? It means that you, know, you bring your full identity to work. Sometimes you're tired when you go in, but sometimes things are always not going according to plan. And it's the authenticity around that to ensure that you can bring your full self to work and feel authentic about it. Of course, you know mostly the folks delivering that message at the time were parents and families themselves to you know kind of young 20 something. But I think that's really the essence of it. It's about how can you reconcile both sides of that equation to ensure that you bring your full self to work and to home, where 
you're able to have boundaries, but also those boundaries are blurred. They're blurred lines. They're not hard. And you have to be comfortable existing in the home environment and in the work environment. Yeah, it's so true. And I think it's such a good point, isn't it? Because when you're in your 20s, the notion of bringing your full self to work, you know, bringing your full hungover self to work or your partied out self to work feels like a really strange thing. And as you <laughs> rightly say, that that really shifts and changes. And I don't know about you, you know, and I'd love to explore a little bit. Not many people, I think, get to experience two kind of hyper growth businesses, kind of one after the other, bounce out of one straight into another during what I imagine were some pretty intense times for Stripe and Twitter. But in order to sustain that over a long period of time, I think it's extremely hard, you know, to do that if you can't be your whole self. It's just a, a pretty draining net negative experience. So that's super, super true. That's a perfect segue onto what I wanted to ask you about, because I think it's been, you know, looking at your career, you've had two stints at least at some proper high growth businesses, you know, Twitter first and then Stripe. And, you know, now obviously running a senior executive role in InfoGrid. I'd love to know a little bit about the key learning and observations you saw, you know, maybe on the good and the less good side from your experiences at working at two, quite frankly, household names now into the new ventures that you've learned. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the big lessons that are important for me to take away from those is don't assume that everybody around you has the answers worked out to these problems. Oftentimes you can make these assumptions where you have a lot of type A people in one room and a lot of muscle power or funding behind the business. And it's a very attractive position to be in because it's a place in which you can fail forward and make mistakes in a safe environment. But oftentimes the people in the room do not have everything figured out. And it's all about first principles assessment of what the challenge is for the company, what the company is solving for, and what the problem space is that you're attacking. So part of the biggest challenge in many of these companies is product market fit and how you go about understanding whether you have product market fit as a business and making investment decisions ahead of or in advance of product market fit to create the right kind of growth trajectory in the company. So I think one of my biggest learnings from Twitter, you know, with that said, is grit and determination. And when I look at the most successful folks at Twitter who went on to do great things with their career. All of them had fundamental DNA in their identity of grit and determination, the ability to persevere, create outcomes, work through difficult times in order to reach the right outcome for the team, for the business and for the company. And it always comes back to what you hire for as an early stage business. Do you hire for attitude or aptitude? And really, in earlier stage companies. When I joined Twitter, I was the first employee in Europe for my business unit and went on to hold a bunch of different roles over five years. And it's all about attitude. You know, you got to bring individuals into the organization and team who have the right attitude, who are willing to allocate energy and resources and eke out a results. And you can bring people in with aptitude, but if they do not have the right attitude and work ethic, to get the right outcome for the business, you'll just have a leaky bucket over time. So I think most important thing in seeking out product market fit is to get the right people into the business and ensure that you create the right 
culture and environment for those folks to be successful. That would be the big takeaway from my time at Twitter. That's fantastic. And it's something really resonates with me, actually. I think a lot about this when I think about Evie. And I don't know if, again, Evie's 29 months now, so a few months ahead of Charlie, but in the similar age group. I think so much about attitude, actually, because speaking candidly, it's not cool to talk about hard work anymore. Yeah. Hard work is not something that's, you know, there's quite a lot of fetishization, I would say, of that's moved in the opposite direction. And I don't know what your thoughts are about that. And when, you know, you think about Charlie's future and actually, you know, the baseline trend, certainly at the moment, is that hard work and hustle culture get kind of people turn their nose up at it. But actually, I think it's really important. And I distinguish between drudgery and hard work. Those things aren't the same, right? But I don't know what you think about this and how it influences early stage parenting style, but things you want to teach him. Yeah, it is. I think your framing is correct. I find these things do move in cycles, right? You kind of have the thesis, the antithesis, and then the synthesis of what will happen. I think we're we may be in kind of antithesis right now for what it takes to correct, drive the right outcomes in a business. So I'd answer the question in two ways. One from a work environment point of view, and then two from a values point of view in what I want to create in Charlie and his siblings over over time. So from a, a work environment point of view, you can think of different cultures around the world and China with a 996 schedule and kind of a lot of Silicon Valley companies adopting that rhetoric in terms of how to drive success and the right outcomes in a company. There is something important to call out here that balance is different for each individual. Balance for one individual is full commitment to their startup and to their work identity. And that does not sacrifice that person's work-life balance because to them, they are in kilter. They are not off kilter. That is balance to them. And that might involve 70, 30 distribution, and that works for that individual. So everybody is different. Now, I think when I think about the culture I want to create in the teams that I build, balance is important to make sure that they have the right work-life balance and that they are able to decompress and bring their full self to work and be energized and know when to take pit stops. And a lot of this is around self-management of you as an individual for understanding how to manage your own energy. And you know, when you think about time management, it's really about energy management. How do you manage your energy as, a, as an individual, not how you manage your time? But I think it's a mistake to shy away from a strong work ethic as a philosophy. At InfoGrid, we have a core value around chase it, to go and chase that result and seek out that result. And oftentimes when I'm calling out the great work of somebody on the team, I will highlight that core value and say, you know, this person has achieved this result and it's perfectly exemplary of our chase it principle in the business. And you know, as is the case in startups, there will be times of stress there will be times where there are longer hours. Should never be like that the entire time. You know, there should be balance, right? That's not success if it is. But you know, in order to disrupt the world, you can't have a nine to six either. You need to have full commitment to the mission of the business. So for me, I grew up in rural Ireland. I'm one of nine kids. My mom created a work ethic in each and every one of her kids that is very clear to see. And, you know, in many ways, we are a product of our environment. And I don't see a world where in some shape or form, I do not pass that same work ethic onto my, my kids. You know, there will be a passing of the baton there around the values and 
working hard, commitments to a mission, delivering outcomes, and certainly something that I think about and coaching in Charlie over time. Sure, today he's playing with Diggers and <laughs> Peppa Pig and he's enjoying his childhood. But, you know, as he goes through these coaching moments over time, that's certainly something that I, I do want to still instill in him and I feel strongly about. Yeah. You know, on a related concept, like you say, that ethic that gets passed down from generation to generation, like you say, both of our children are very, very young. I often think about how it's hard to avoid doing these things if your proclivity is a certain way, because I remember looking at my parents, we're all immigrants to this country, you know, and I remember how hard they worked. And it, to me, it was kind of the obvious thing to do. It's just what you do. <laughs> you know, so I was just like, this is what I need to do. I need to get stuff done. So I'm not going to expect anyone else to do it for me. I have to do it. And I think it's really important. I think, you know, we're probably both in a reasonably fortunate position where it would be very easy for our children to accumulate a sense of entitlement by virtue of having things that certainly I, I don't know about you, but I didn't have. And I think about how I want her, Evie, to see me working and seeing that my work is something that gives me a tremendous sense of value and worth and pride. And it's not something that I do begrudgingly. You know, don't get me wrong. Are there days where I do it begrudgingly? Yeah, I still do it, but I do it begrudgingly. But it's on balance something that I think is very past downable. So when I hear you talk about your mum and how, you know, that's instilling you and you, how you can push that onto Charlie, it resonates very strongly. And I think that your point there is key. You know, if you are bringing your full self to work, but also to your family life, it's important that kids are able to role model the right behaviours in parents. And one of those things that I want to make sure is that when Charlie sees my attitude to work and where I'm investing in time, that he looks at that as me loving what I do, that I'm gaining energy and that there are so many things to do in this world that you have so much choice. Do the things that you love and you have to believe doing the things you love is in your internal locus of control. You're able to reach and achieve those outcomes and being in an existence that's a slog where you know you're low energy and upset at the end of the day is not one to live so for me it's all about loving what i do and mission-driven companies is where i spend my time and that's what gives me energy and I, I wish the same for my children i think that's a perfect segue onto my next question which is to talk a little bit about productivity and balance because looking at you ross it's incredible that you're an angel investor you're a scout and you're as SVP at InfoGrid, as well as being a dad. So I'd love to ask a, a question to you about, you know, sacrifice, candidly, because, you know, in order to achieve everything that you need to achieve in life, anyone needs to, you know, everyone has an element of sacrifice. And I'd love to just to hear a little bit about sacrifices you've made. And, you know, one of the questions I'd like to ask is, which ones have felt worth it? And are there ones that haven't? It's a good question. And I think you're framing on which ones are worth it and which ones are not. There's a comment you made earlier about working hard, which I think is, is important to unpack. I believe it's both about working hard and working smart, both together. I've seen some folks you know, who have been on my teams in different organizations in the past who have achieved their outcomes in different ways. Some of them work smart, some of them work hard. And I'd like to think that I've done both or accumulated enough knowledge that I know how to do both today. But there are times in the past where, you know, I've really, really pre-Charlie dedicated myself fully to work. And when you do dedicate yourself fully to work, there are aspects of your full identity that will take a back seat, right? You know, if there's certain things that are important to you, like health and fitness or reading and education or 
learning new things that you will have less and less time for those. And one thing that has, you know, I've worked very hard in, you know, different organizations in the past and feel that I've come close-ish to burnout in one of those organizations from the past. And that was not worth it, frankly. It was just not not worth it. You have to be able to self-manage and manage your energy. And this is that was one of the times in my life where I really reflected hard on what I was doing, how I was managing myself, the need for a more holistic approach to health, fitness, learning, education, and kind of led me to this concept around Ikigai. It's a Japanese construct and I think literally translates as what you get up for in the morning. And you know, led me to reflecting and introspecting on my passion, my mission, my profession, helps you understand what you're good at, what you work at, what you can be paid for, what the world needs. So in hindsight, I think the sacrifice and time commitment helped me to learn a lot, build a foundation that you know enables me to context switch very quickly and learn things very quickly. And in that regard, it was worth it. But I think once you come close to the edge of expending all of your energy, you have to learn from those things that you don't do them again, because you'll get a few swings and a miss, but eventually that can take its toll and take its time. I think for me as a dad, there's one thing that I always want to, to do, and that's to be present with my family. And it's actually only recently that I've drawn up a list, which is like basically four simple rules for me as a dad. I'm sure I'll add to these as time goes on. And where that came from is that in my work life, I have a document that's called Working with Ross. And anybody who joins my team or a peer who joins the company, I I share this document with them. Like, look, this is guidelines, but it's a few shortcuts for how you can work with me instead of like figuring out different things so you understand what kind of person I am and how I work. And I haven't built that exactly for being a dad, but I took the same principle and said, look, what's really important to me? And these are non-negotiables for how I invest time in my family with Charlie and, and with Vicky. And it's four simple rules. Be present, eat together as a family, be your child's role model and be a teacher. And they're the four things that I hold myself accountable to when I think of what are my obligations and my duty to charity as a parent. Simple things like in startup life, that's very tempting to always have your your phone by your side and you know checking a Slack message here or WhatsApp there. And you know you have to just be regimented in how you manage that. So in my calendar, if when anyone looks at my work calendar, they'll see from seven to 8.30, it's like block family time. And I do not do anything outside of that block, but family time. I am present and I learn about the day and I devote myself to it. Because if you think of it, it's quite a small window of time, really. And you have to ensure that you're fully present to make sure it's valuable for everybody in the family. And then, of course, on the weekends is family time as well. But that's how I think about sacrifice. I think sacrifice is, is worth it where you can gain compounding skills that will give you an unfair advantage. So I think the sacrifice is worth it if you understand what you're sacrificing and then you have a time on that. And then you have to learn from it so that you don't perpetuate what you know your tendencies are when you are a dad. Yeah, that's such an awesome framework 
for doing things. I have a similar thing, working with Amrit Document. So that made me smile when you described that. I often think about, candidly, I think I could be a much better dad and husband since I set up HX, right? The business that has done great. And I think about the sheer volume of time and effort I put into creating the structures in my life to make me the most efficient and effective person to engage within my team. And frankly, it's a hundredth of that time and effort that I have historically put in to doing the same thing with my family. I love your idea of build, taking some of those principles and applying, trying to create some of that leverage to what is ultimately, as you put, you know, the most precious, valuable thing that you have in your life. Such a smart idea. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I've just gone through this exercise in work. So at Infogrid, we're growing really quickly and everything in commercial when I joined in July of last year, we were four people and now we're 70, just in oh. just in commercial, which wow. is marketing, partnerships, customer success and uh, sales. And as companies grow and mature, your meeting cadence and your operating cadence and your reporting structure will evolve. Right? These things, as you grow, tend to break and they don't serve you anymore. And you have to reimagine what your operating cadence is around that. And I put in place a new operating cadence in the in the business recently with the right meeting cadence and governance and metrics reviewed in different sessions. And I'm not saying that dads should go and apply this operating cadence <laughs> to their home life. That's certainly not what I'm suggesting here. But to your point, as you know, in business, we can devote all of this energy to making sure that the business runs smoothly and everybody has the right information when they need it and the right decision making forms. There is something to learn there in home life as well, right? You know, as kids grow and parents' careers progress, you know, sometimes you need to think about, oh, what are the rituals we need in our home life in order to make sure that we continue to operate cohesively as a family and over-communicate and share information, which is really what that operating cadence is getting at, right? I think what you're onto there is, is important and something that I recognize as well. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? I was reading something, I think it was this Jeff Lawson, the CEO of Twilio, was talking about he thinks he's his, at his best when he's planning. You know, it, it depends on what function you're in and what job you're doing. He's the CEO. He's like, I'm at my best when I'm planning two years down the road, right? He's like, that's actually the time horizon. And, you know, I think when you've got a 20-month-old or, a, you know, two-and-a-half-year-old, the prospect of planning two years down the road makes your palms sweat. But just having that ability to look a little bit, as you, you know, thinking about your points about the rituals and all those frameworks, having to think a little bit about what you need. So your best place to provide that is absolutely something there. So Ross, I'd like to ask you the big question I'd like to ask every guest now, which is what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you'd love to pass on to Charlie and any of his future siblings? I think the biggest lesson for me, I think it depends on what kind of person you are. You can be a very people-oriented person or a very task-oriented, action-oriented, process-oriented person. But certainly as my career has developed to where it's at today, you know, I definitely bias towards task orientation, process orientation. It's all about the people. You need to ensure that you have a people-first lens on everything you do. That's run through to me in various guises as a, a angel investor, right? The, you're talking to a founder. Founder fundamentally needs to believe that you are vested in that their mission and that you are committed and will provide ongoing 
value and dialogue and mentorship to them. It's a people decision ultimately, right? When you get into these later stage funding rounds, it, it, it changes completely. But founders work with angel investors that they believe in, and that's a people skill. If you're a people manager in a business, you cannot have this mechanical process-oriented, task-oriented approach to people. You have intrinsic people, extrinsic people, all kinds of different motivations. And you need to have that malleability to flex and ebb and flow with an individual to accommodate their style so that you're able to get the best out of them and communicate seamlessly with them. And then likewise, as a leader, that's what it's all about, right? When you're thinking about leadership, you can disregard much of what the theory books will communicate about management. It's just really, can I believe in this person and their vision? And does that leader have influence in order to influence this group of people to complete an action? And it's all to do with people. And certainly when I think of how I want to parent Charlie, it comes back to you know that list of four things, be a role model, be an educator. You can be a role model and be an educator but it has to be soft skills, people first, full context communication, meeting everybody where they are. I want to role model that with Charlie and my other kids in the future. And you know that's something that I hope he would take into his life and in business, you know, as he thinks of that fundamental premise that you know people buy from people, people work with people, not processes or mechanical things. That's absolutely awesome. Your phrase about the leadership book thing and being able to throw away a lot really, really sticks with me because I remember reading something that, you know, is now something I've written down for myself and I look at on a regular basis, which says the best leadership skill you can ever accumulate is just to be a scholar of human nature, right? And it just like really stuck with me as like, you know what, if you can be someone who understands and develops a really strong sense of empathy and understanding about people, because everyone is a hero in their own movie, right? And it's like, if you can understand the movie, you know, the plot of their film, what happens at the end or what they want to happen at the end, you can be much, much better place to be, you know, to the extent that you're the producer or director. At the pointy end, ultimately, everything is a people thing. Uh, it's absolutely, absolutely true. Before we wrap up, we always close the show with our startup shout out segment, where we shine a light on a team, founder, organization in the startup world that we admire. So who's your startup shout out, Ross? Startup shout out. My startup shout out is for a company called Butter.us and the founder there, Jacob, who is currently scaling that business. It's a collaborative SaaS for virtual workshops. I did invest in the company for their seed round last year. I think they're solving a really interesting problem for how to approach more deep dives and virtual collaboration and workshops that you know just Zoom and Hangouts don't solve for today with more interactivity of, of tooling and features and functionality that you just don't see in those tools. So I've been really impressed with Jacob and the team as they've scale out that business and uh, believe they'll do really exciting things well ross look that's been an absolutely cracking episode thank you so much for coming on the show thank you many thanks to today's guest you'll find links to them and their work in the show notes it would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague so if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable please pass it on to them if you'd like to connect with me reach out on twitter at startup dad's pod 